Purposely Podcast, speaking with social entrepreneurs and charity founders and leaders, people who are making the world a better place. Here's your host, Mark Longbottom. Dr. Sarah Fain, I've known for almost a decade. She created and formed a charity called Afghan Connection and made the hard decision to close it recently and take up a new role at the Marlborough Cricket Club Foundation. And there's a real thread to cricket throughout the episode. Afghan Connection teamed up with another NGO called Swedish Committee and they delivered education, empowerment, community build projects throughout Afghanistan. And when I used to meet Sarah when on the odd occasion in London, I was always amazed at how unfazed she was about her trips to Afghanistan, particularly when that it was in a period of being completely war-torn uh, and close to Western borders. So, um, you know, pretty brave person uh, and definitely one to put um, her own safety to a side to help others. I think you'll enjoy tonight's episode. If you like what you hear, please subscribe, please share with one other person at least, and um, be good to get as many people to listen to these episodes as possible. Thank you. Thank you very much. Good to have you on the show. And um, you're not doing that now, though, are you? So you are now director or CEO of Marlebone Cricket Club Foundation. Is that right? Right. I started in April and I've yet to visit my office. Oh, that is a common thing for some people. Um, tell, tell me about that role. I know you're excited about it um, and I know you had a, a lot to do with this particular charity over the years. But um, what do they do? What's your role and, and what are you excited about? Actually, I'm really excited about the whole thing. Um, I've, I've been um, very much part of MCC over the last few years because I did a cricket project in Afghanistan and we supported the Afghan cricket team in its early days and then did a, a massive programme for grassroots cricket across the country. And that was supported by MCC and its foundation. And it really showed me how that brand can help to transform what other charities are doing or what other people are uh, implementing. Um, and they actually made me an honorary life member for the work we did in Afghanistan. So I, I have a very close affiliation with the club. And then um, recently um, we decided to close Afghan Connection. And within a few minutes, I'd had a call from the foundation um, to see if I'd be interested in applying for the job as director there, which had just come up. Um, and the long short of it is here I am um, at a really interesting time for cricket, a really interesting time in the world, a really challenging time. Um, but I am, I'm incredibly excited about what um, the foundation can do to help young people at this very difficult time. And, and how has COVID-19 and the, you know, the lockdown scenario affected the w- operations? Well, it's been interesting because we run projects um, to support our local community, not just through cricket, but through social action. And we also run cricket um, projects across the UK and cricket globally. Um, So the first thing I did when I started, because there was obviously no cricket going on, was to launch a campaign to help feed the homeless in in Westminster, which is our local borough around Lords. And within a couple of weeks, we'd raised £78,000, which was completely phenomenal um, and we managed to um, provide 23,000 meals for the homeless in Westminster so that was a really inspiring way to start um, not how I imagined I'd be starting uh, we run 55 cricket hubs for um, for state educated children across the UK helping them on the talent pathway um, there's a lot done for partic- participation in cricket in this country but 
not enough projects which are free to access for um, state educated kids on the talent pathway. And obviously all the cricket there also had to close in, in March. So um, we're, I've really had this sort of period of, of two months where I've been able to have a forensic look at all the cricket offering in this country and what we can do globally. And I've been meeting hundreds of people on Zoom. So it's been a very, very interesting and productive time. Great. And I think, I think cricket's a really interesting sport because it brings together lots of different cultures, um, huge amounts of support uh, on the subcontinent. Um, what I always thought was, with cricket is that, you know, it doesn't matter what shape or size you are. Um, you, you know, there's lots of different positions people can take up. But it, 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 it's a real... Um, it pulls people together doesn't it uh in a really community often a community setting um and and one of the, the sort of um burdens to bear with cricket really has been the uh, certainly in the uk that it's it's played only by toffs you know like it's so people in in uh private or or um uh, public schools and actually it's not a sport that's been accessible to um work, the working class in the UK, but actually lots changed there. And this is what you're doing is, is all about um, spreading the access, isn't it? Absolutely. I think what I loved about Afghanistan was that any kid you met and gosh, they were playing everywhere by the time I, we stopped working there. Whereas in 2002, I didn't see any cricket. Um, but the great thing about cricket there, and I think the same in India and those kind of countries is that um, all young people can aspire, they can dream that one day they might play in their national team. They, they really think it is, it's their domain. They're all out on the streets playing. Whereas I think in this country, it is seen still as something that's a bit unreachable and elite, and it's an expensive sport. And so I'm really excited about what our cricket hubs can do because they're free to access. And um, at the moment, whether there's so much talk about Black Lives Matter and the lack of black cricketers, and also the fact that so many um, Asian cricketers are playing, but not necessarily in, in the county structures. I think we've got a huge, um, a huge potential to help change this, to reverse it and, and to make cricket um, much more diverse and inclusive. And, and there's obviously a big push for this at the minute. And I think the foundation has a really big part to play. Yeah, exciting times. Um, so going back a bit, uh, I'm going to take you all the way back to um, a place that I've spent the last 15 years. So uh, you you turned up at Bristol Uni, didn't you? And you studied French and Latin originally. Gosh, that is going back a long way. Yeah, that's right. A very long time ago. But you yeah. didn't you didn't you didn't stick with that, did you? What what, what happened next? Uh, no, before I started at Bristol, I had a year out in um, a village in India where they didn't they'd know, they'd only seen one white woman before and she'd been a nurse and so they used to come to my mud hut and ask me to deliver babies and help them with their ailments and I just thought I would so love to be a doctor um, but I never thought I'd be bright enough or could do the science so I went to do my course as planned in French and Latin but then I, I did stop and I did, a, I did all my O-levels GCSEs type things um, in science by post and applied for pre-med at Bristol and got onto that course and ended up being a doctor, which was um, fantastic. And <laughs> a big, big surprise. Yeah, and and that sort of um, what fair to say, kind of imposter syndrome, where you just didn't think that would be something you could achieve. Did did that did did that remain? And did it drive you that sort of feeling of I'm I'm not bright enough for this. This isn't me. It's somebody else. Did it did it spur you on? I think what it taught me is that if you're passionate about something, you really, really are passionate and you really want to do it. It is possible. And I think that's a message that I've tried to put across to, to young people because I've, I've been very privileged to talk in a lot of schools 
And I think it's really important to, to believe in yourself and that you can create change. I think there's, there's so much out in the world and there's so many issues. And, but I think that if you're really passionate about something, you can, you can do it. I, I did medicine. I mean, that was against all the odds. I couldn't, you know, I barely scraped my physics O-level. Um, and, you know, it is possible. Things are possible. Yeah. And, and you just have to really push yourself. But if you have passion behind it, it makes all the difference. Yeah. So when did, uh, so when did you travel to Pakistan? And, and I, I believe you were a part of your being a medical student was on the Northwestern Front. Or province was that right was that was that yeah that was in 1987 um and I went to in our fifth year at medical school you could go anywhere you liked in the world for three months to practice medicine and I went to the northwest frontier province of Pakistan um and it was on the border with Afghanistan and that and Afghanistan was at war with the Soviets so it was a very interesting time and um I did some incredible medicine um for women in um one of the areas with the highest maternal mortality rates in the world and um, and then I got involved um, in that part of the world and went back as a doctor and um, alongside us going to India on my own that, um, before university, then traveling across Afghanistan and Pakistan on my own. I mean, I think my I think they were wonderful. My parents, I, I wrote to them letters. I've, I've still they've kept all my letters and actually reading them. I, I don't I think they've been amazing. I, I and actually I've now got children like I am. So I'm going through the same that my parents went through. And it serves me right. Yeah. And kind of that that sort of combination of of travel utilizing your skills as a doctor but tapping into that female journey and really wanting to make a difference and and wartime um and and when there was you know like chance life life uh, expectancy wasn't great so was it a situation of you seeing experiencing being part of that and just not being able to turn your back on it like that was you set to to make a difference I think so. I think that um, all those experiences built up, and I think particularly, I, I had a very big experience in Afghanistan in 2001, when the Taliban were in control there, and 90% um, of the country was held by Taliban, and they'd had war for 23 years. And I was invited to go there as a doctor um, to visit a clinic for women and children. And I, it was really that journey, because in the 80s, I hadn't got children. And, and, and so you have a different outlook. It's more of an adventure. Once I went in 2000, and one, I'd had four children. I was looking at it through the eyes of a mother and you were seeing these women that couldn't feed their children in a country which had no hope. And and the kinds of stories I heard and the, the people I met and their incredible hospitality and love to me just totally changed my life. And it, and it does happen in a big way. And it did happen to me then. And yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't then go back and lead the same life that I'd led before. Yeah. And so in terms of personal sacrifice, do you... You, you, I mean, you clearly see it's gain, you've gained more than you've given, but what, what were the sacrifices at that time, would you say? I think, um, I think life, is, life isn't always easy. You go through chapters of your life. I think that, um, I think that it, it, it was difficult to um, run that charity, keep the home going and, and all that. But I think that what came out of that was that my children have been absolutely incredible and um and they are they have such an amazing outlook on life so i think the rewards have been twofold not just in the work i've done but in the way that that's shaped my kids life as well yeah um but there have definitely been difficult times along the way and you know trying to I, when i set up the charity and had four young children you know trying to do that um all at once was, was definitely challenging and, and sort of sometimes working very late at night and early in the morning and um yeah big 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 issues at times but i think that 
um, I, I can look back and, and feel that it was, you know, it, it was definitely worthwhile. So Afghan Connection was the char- as the charity, isn't it? So set up in 2002. Um, uh, I, I remember at the time it was, it was linked to or very much um, you had a partnership running with, um, was it a Swedish committee? Is that right? Which is a Swedish, absolutely Swedish right, NGO. Yeah. Um, and so how, how did it work at that time, the early, early days? In the early days, so after that big trip to Afghanistan, I came back and I decided that I wanted to start um, raising money for, for, to buy medical equipment for Afghanistan. And, and that, then I raised more than I wanted. And so I started the charity. Um, and, and so then afterwards, I needed to find a way that we could implement projects um, in Afghanistan and, and do it really well. And, and the Swedish committee were involved in a twin school, twin school program, um, which we got involved with. And then I saw how they were operating um, in the education sector and the health sector out in Afghanistan. And I thought they'd be a brilliant partner. Um, and they had something like 5,000 Afghans working on the ground and just a few um, expats running it in Afghanistan. So we teamed up with them and they've been an amazing partner over the years. And so initially supply medical supplies, is that right? And then uh, sort of expanding to educating um, building classrooms, teaching teachers. Is that the, is that the accurate summary? Yes, I think we started with health projects and then very swiftly, cause partly because of my own children, I wanted kids here to understand better the situation in Afghanistan. So I started twinning schools and uh, we twinned a lot of schools and we started a project across Europe with twin schools. And it was a wonderful sort of cultural exchange project. We took teachers to Afghanistan but then more and more, I realized that the, the kids out in Afghanistan didn't even have a roof over their heads. So we started raising money to build schools. And then we felt it should be more holistic. And if we wanted to get girls educated, we'd need to have female teachers and we'd need to um, have it, the schools right in the community. And with them, we, so we had to start up schools within the villages. So it, it sort of grew from that. And we, from our experience of going back and back and seeing what was working, we, we ended up doing an enormous amount for education in Afghanistan. Yeah. And I think the, from my memory of, of our conversations is that, you know, you initially it was about um, showing the thought around showing them the way, the Afghan, Afghan people the way. But actually, um, you know, your charity moved to very much all your people on the ground were Af, um, like Afghan locals. And it was really around them d- driving their direction, what they needed, what was going to make a difference to their lives Um and and just reacting to what they needed rather than uh, coming from England and telling them what they needed. Would that be fair? I think that it's a great lesson in life. I think that to have a sort of approach from our, our perspective is always wrong. And and I learned very quickly that actually, you know, why don't girls go to school in Afghanistan? A lot of it is, is not just because men don't want them to. It's because they want them to have a female teacher. They want them to have a, a building which is secure. They, you know, they, they have ideas about... What, what they need and if you respond to that then you will get the girls to school and it's a great lesson here I mean there's a big thing about why there are no black cricketers playing cricket well a lot of the reasons are, are not what we expect it's not just you know it's not just that they don't want to um, it, we need to go into those communities find out the reasons why they're not playing um, and the same with all all sort of these issues you, you need to understand it from the community perspective not not try and impose it from our perspective and then I think there's much more chance of success yeah Hundred percent. So, what I look, really liked about what you did is you paired schools in the UK with your operations in Afghanistan, didn't you? That um, and you had that real two-way relationship going on. And and with 
um, that was uh, schools that you were linked to through your children. Was that right? Then I quickly grew the number of schools and, and it grew from, you know, just a few private schools to state schools and special needs schools. We had some wonderful um, deaf schools linking up with deaf schools in Afghanistan. Um, and I, I love that. And I want to carry that on with my job at the MCC Foundation, because I think just trying to get children to look out um, of their lives rather than look inwards and to, to really sort of see them, their eyes opening to, to other people's issues. When, they, when I used to show pictures of girls sitting on the ground on rocks um, because they were so desperate to have an education, you could see kids here start to value their own education more and start to think about what they could do to change other people's lives. And that's, I love that. I love getting young people involved and, and it's been a really lovely journey seeing how some of these kids have, have done things in their own lives. And one thing that really struck me, you know, through all that time, because we're talking about, um, you know, this Soviet war, uh, Soviet-Afghan war, you know, you've been right through um, more recent years where, um, you know, uh, Taliban, uh, huge uh, personal security risks. And I know you and I got together in London a couple of times for a chat and and I marveled at the, your, A, personal bravery. uh, Also, you know, you're, you're a mother with children, you're a wife, you've got, um, you know, responsibilities here or in the UK, and and did did, were, did you have sort of significant incidents where you thought like I'm um, you know my life's could flash before me, or actually generally were you did you feel extremely safe? I think it's always the case. Before I go to Afghanistan, I always get worried about it, and I always think of the worst, and I always fear. My biggest fear is is kidnap. Um, but I always. Tr- talk to my children about it and I wouldn't have gone if I if they'd ever said to me that they didn't want me to go um I think that there were times every now and again yes when something happened but the the reality is that if you I mean it's been bizarre but I I I traveled with um Afghans we went under the radar we didn't go with guns and we never took a gun anywhere um we we really gained the trust of the local people where we were working I was welcomed into their homes and and that was my security so once I got to Afghanistan and I saw these people and I, I really grew to love them, um, you know, I, they all knew my name in the villages where we worked. They all came out to greet me. I think then you forget your fear. But I think that it is a, it is a very difficult place. It's very complex. And um, and I think I've also been remarkably fortunate. Hmm. It always strikes me. It's like, I've, you know, I've seen images, videos, photos of you in action um, and you can see the warmth that you're received with. Um, but also, like, it strikes me as such an arid, um, you know, desert, desert reality. Um, they're kind of, uh, you know, life looks so different. I mean, it must have been huge. Um, you know, you'd be over there, get used to that, and then you come back to, um, you know, you live just outside London, is that right? You lived in the home counties? Incredibly privileged. Yeah. But I think that what you learn is so wonderful because actually when you when I stay in the houses in Afghanistan, I go to the women's quarters and all the women from the village come in to, to spend the evening with us. Uh, and you learn that it, you know, it's all gossip and you hear, you know, all, all the local chit chat and and you realize actually we're all it's all so similar. It's it's not really that different. Um, but the hospitality you receive over there is completely overwhelming and, and their sort of their graciousness. Um, and so, and that that I, I really miss going out there more often now. Yeah, and was it always a plan? Because um, I've come across a couple of charities, uh, which are UK based but focused overseas, and um, 
that you know they one of them in particular uh had a had a definite plan where they wanted to not exist within 20 years uh and and it didn't quite happen but the founder stepped away um it strikes me you know we talk about uh charities being set up by an inspirational founder um you know there's there's a healthy bit of ego in there these you know this can't help happen without me um it's inextricably linked to who i am as a person um did you envisage one day you would close the charity, which which you've done recently? Is that always the plan? Yeah, I think that um, I don't. I don't think I ever planned anything really. It all sort of happened, but I always wanted it to be something that was something that we started off, which gained its own momentum and was carried on by the Afghan people. I never wanted it to become a big charity, a big uh, Oxfam, or or for it to have a. I, I wanted it really to to affect change, and we we worked for a generation of kids' lives. We saw a generation through education. Um, we chose one area in the end where we wanted to just throw everything at education. And we saw it going from a place where there were no girls going to school to a place where most of the girls are now educated. And I think that for me, that's that's the change. I wanted to see a, a, a mindset change. And there's a mindset change where we were working and therefore it will continue. And I, I feel very hopeful about that. Um, I I. I think really we'd got to this place where we where we were ready to leave and where the the issues um, were beginning to build. Uh, when you when you're working in Afghanistan now, the Taliban have a, a sort of sub sub government in most provinces, and they're starting to charge taxes um, on NGOs. And I just didn't I didn't want to get into all that. We've had amazing relationships with our donors. We've been completely transparent. Um, it's just getting more complex to deliver there. And I think what we did was was to create a change that will keep its own momentum. So I think it was a very good moment. Yeah, I mean, you've, it's an incredible rap sheet. Half a million lives changed. You know, a thousand teachers, uh, you know, educated or trained fully. Um, you, where, you know, where you, um, I think it's okay. And I'm rubbish at. District, that's right. Yes. And so, you know, um, you've gone from a woman who can't, girls and women who can't read and write, and complete transformation of um, of outcomes for those young women. Is that right? I mean, it's it's an it's 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 a wonderful story, but I it's still incredibly hard for those girls. So even the girls that have been through school now, some will go to university, some will get jobs as teachers. Others won't. It'll be like our, our own country here. A few, a few years back, when when women found it so hard to take that next step. But I think that what will happen. The great thing is the community is seeing that it's changing. They've now got doctors. They've got teachers. Um, their health is so much better. They're not afraid of childbirth anymore. So they will keep investing in education for their girls, which is fantastic. And and the next generation. We'll have more opportunities yeah so it, it's part of a process which i feel that we've we've helped to start off and it will gain its own momentum yeah fantastic i mean what what i've sort of glossed over a bit is uh we need to we need to pick up on this but your incredible uh connection journey with cricket so um uh you know explain that for our listeners because that that's absolutely phenomenal and it takes you right up to to today with the um mcc foundation yeah, I think, as you, as I said, I'd never really planned anything. Things sort of happened, you know, through the experience of working out there. But one of my children noticed that the Afghan cricket team were starting to do well, but they didn't have any support. They're in the bottom rankings of the world. 
and they were a team that had been refugees in Pakistan. And um, the one thing that kept them going when they were in the refugee camps was playing cricket. And they grew so passionate about the game. And they had this dream that one day they'd go back to Afghanistan, they'd form a team and they'd get to the World Cup. Um, and we took them out bats and balls to their academy in Kabul, which was just a dust field. And from there, they went to play tournaments um, in Jersey and they won that. And then they went to several other tournaments and they just kept winning. And in the end, they did get to play in the World Cup and they're the fastest rising team ever in the history of cricket. And they're now in the top 10 teams in the world and they've got test status. It's, it's just extraordinary. And that's done so much for Afghanistan and um, it's united its people. It's, it's, it's given them hope. It's given them role models. And we just wanted to be a part of helping um, the movement of cricket. So we, we managed to get backing from the MTC and, and the Foreign Office and nice donors over the years. And we built over 100 cricket pitches in schools and did coaching all over Afghanistan. And we worked for disabled kids and visually impaired kids, as well as kids in schools. And the girls, we managed to get playing cricket by the end. And it was the most joyful, fantastic project I can ever, you know, it was, just, it was such a huge privilege and joy to take part with it. Mm. That's, I mean, I think sport is hugely transformative, isn't it? Um, you know, it's that often team uh, operating with others. It's the health benefits, the, the kind of absolute boost to confidence often. Um, and I've, I've been involved in a few charities, one in particular in London, where um, focused particularly on young people with disabilities. And, you know, families who didn't envisage their children being sports people or having aspirations around sport. And it is hugely transformative. Um, and, and you and, and, and you know, you're you've realised that. And it's great that you've got that ability to um, spread the love. Yeah, I think that Afghanistan, it's interesting, I spoke to somebody at the ICC yesterday and they, I said to them how, um, how cricket had transformed Afghanistan. And he said, well, Sarah, Afghanistan has transformed cricket. And I, I love that. I love the fact that it's a two-way thing. You know, cricket is so wonderful for the people of Afghanistan. It's brought them together and it's given them something to celebrate after years of war. And they're proud that their team's on the international stage. But it's also changing cricket. And, it, and the Afghans are now you know, refugees all over the world. And countries like Germany are now cricketing nations because of the Afghan refugee population. So it's, it's very interesting and, and it's wonderful how cricket really can help people to fulfill their potential in life and, and, and really transform, transform so much. And I really want to use that to, to, in my job going forward. It's been a wonderful lesson working in Afghanistan. Yeah. And so you quite rightly, we were recognized with an OBE. Um, what, what year was that? 2012. Hugely proud moment for you and your family, I imagine. It was great. And they let me take all four of my kids with me. Um, you're normally only meant to have maximum of three. So it was wonderful. Yeah. Um, and it was funny because I was following Grayson Perry and I, I didn't know. <laughs> he was dressed up as a woman in his way. And I was trying to watch what I was meant to do because I'd forgotten what instructions I'd had. And, and, and he bowed and I got so confused. Um, anyway. <laughs> It was a great day, and I loved every minute of it. Absolutely fantastic. And um, one thing really strikes me, Sarah, was when, when you know, preparation for this interview is, um, you know, you, there should be a book, right? There should be, there should be a memoir. There should be maybe a film, because um, and and I'm not just focusing on you, and I and I know you're a woman without ego, but you know, you have a hell of a story to write. But is it something you would consider? 
I've I've written diaries since I was 18, so all my travels are, are written down, and I've done a blog, um, which is which is, which tells a lot of the story. I, I think that I'd love to tell the story because I think it's such a wonderful um, reflection of Afghanistan. Because I think so often people think of Afghanistan as this terrible sort of war place, and it, and and I've had such a beautiful experience there. So. I, I hope when maybe when I die, my kids will will write write up my diaries or something. You, you don't think you will? I I I I don't know. I don't know. I'd love to do it, but I can't imagine ever having the time or, or doing it well enough. Fair enough. But um, I, and I love the fact that the Afghan cricket story is out there, and that there's definitely been a wonderful film on that already. Um, but yeah, it would be fun. But who knows? And just just a bit um, a bit of sort of you know sadly picking up on on COVID-19 and, and the pandemic um what what is what has been the impact on um Afghanistan well interestingly I think that in Afghanistan it, it's definitely a problem but they are so poorly equipped to deal with it that a, a lot of it's just recorded as people dying of pneumonia you know it, there are other issues out there there's still war there's still poverty there's still drought so it's just a part of that rather than something that's taking over the country. It, it's, it's quite interesting, but I'm sure underneath it all, it is having a devastating impact. Yeah. And, and for you, in terms of um, your family and, and how you feel about it, how, what's, a, what's that kind of the lockdown period been like for you and, and your family? Um, well, it's been, I think, you know, we're very privileged and we're privileged to live in a place where we can go out and walk. And it's been wonderful to be, locked in with a few of my family. I've had a couple of my family overseas and I've, 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 I've missed them terribly. Um, but I think that, you know, we're, we're incredibly lucky to have, you know, somewhere where we, we can get out and about. So I think, you know, it's also given me this chance to really work out what we can do at the foundation for the future. But I, I'm longing for it all to change and I realise what a devastating impact it's had on so many. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, really appreciate the time taken um great great to reconnect uh also and i wish you all the luck uh and i know you did a fantastic job uh with the mcc foundation that they're really lucky to have you um thank you and uh keep up the good work and we'll connect again soon thank you and thanks for all you've done for the charity It was really good to reconnect Dr. Serafina after all these years and thank you for joining me and listening. If you get a chance to, and you like what you hear, subscribe, leave a review, share this podcast series with friends. My aim, my real passion is to shine a light on the stories of founders of not-for-profits, people who have sacrificed material gain and other things in their life to help people and do good. That's my motivation. Keep listening and we'll speak to you on the next episode. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Purposely Podcast. I hope you like what you're hearing. Please subscribe and leave a review.